Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles or your phones, let's open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We love 1 Corinthians. It is such a good book. Man, I am just loving this. I hope you're enjoying it too. Um, This morning, we are going to be looking at verses uh, 5 through 10. So this is the second half of what we started last week. And one of the things that we're going to really focus on is this balance and understanding what God says about divine power and human stewardship. How is it that if God is sovereign and knows the future and is in control of everything and actually planned the future and knows the future, all those things are true and God is all-powerful and he always gets exactly what he wants, then, then does it matter what we do? And what we're going to find out today is that God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is in control of everything. He causes all spiritual growth. God is the cause of all spiritual growth, salvation and growth. But the other thing that we're going to see in this passage, and it's not just in this passage, it is all over Scripture, is that that does not mean that you and I don't participate It doesn't mean that what we do doesn't matter. Um, Actually, it's really important that we do things exactly the way God tells us to do it because it actually makes a difference. And not only does it make a difference, we will be accountable for how we minister. And so I love this passage. It's it's one of those things where um, I was listening to one of my favorite people this, this week. And somebody asked him a question. And and the question that they asked him was, if God is all-powerful and if he knows the future and if he does everything, he's in control, then why do we pray? And this was the answer. And and I think it was partially true. This was the answer. He says, we pray out of obedience. We pray because God told us to. And... Similar thing, why do we share the gospel? If God's the one who reaches in and saves people, then why do we share the gospel? And his answer is, because God tells us to. And that's true. But I have to tell you something else. That is actually missing a significant amount of what Scripture says. So why do we pray? Because God tells us to. But why do we pray? Because prayer makes a difference. Prayer changes the course of the world. Prayer affects people. Why do we share the gospel? Because God told us to. But why do we share the gospel? Because when we share the gospel, God uses that to save people. And if we don't share the gospel, then people are going to miss out on what God intends for them. And this is the thing that I think is interesting. It's one of the things we have to be careful about in Christianity is we need to read everything that there is in Scripture. And we can't say, I I believe what this verse says, but I'm going to use this verse to cross out all these other verses. Or we can't on this side say, well, I'm going to really embrace this verse. I don't kind of like these other verses, so I'm going to cross all those out or I'm going to explain them away. And uh, this, this passage, I love it because it really puts those things together perfectly. And there's something freeing, and this is very challenging, it's very hard to do, and it's something that we need to all work on. But there's something that is very challenging, and that is to be the kind of person that just says, God, 
I want to know what you say. And I want to live in light of what you say. And if as I'm reading and studying scripture, I realize that there's something in here that I'm not comfortable with or that I don't like, I'm going to work on changing me and my attitude. I, I'm not going to open up scripture and read it with an agenda where you read things and you try to force things. You're like, well, that doesn't fit with what I believe, so let me just ignore that part or let me try to explain that away or make it say something it's not saying. You know, it is so freeing to just say, I don't care what other people think and I don't care what I think, God. I just want to know, what do you say to me? How do you say things happen? And, and, and I just think on this issue, if uh, God was not sovereign, I mean, he could be. He's all-powerful. But if God just said, no, you know what, I throw everything out there and however people respond, that's how they respond. I'm really uninvolved in that part. My part is just to lay it out in front of people. If that's what God said, <laughs> I would say, okay, you're God. That's how you want to do it? Then that's how you did it. And if God said, no, you're all robots, I decide everything that happens, and it may seem like you are in, an actor in life, but you're actually not. I'm the one who does everything. And if that's what God said, I would say, okay, <laughs> you're God. You made everything. Then that's how it is. And, and I have friends that have both of those kind of views, and they all get mad at me sometimes. And, um, and that's actually why God has put us in the body of Christ is so that we can challenge each other, so that we can encourage each other. I, I think about sometimes I've had views as it relates to um, God's sovereignty and our, our involvement in ministry. And I've had views over the years where I kind of see things a certain way, and I'll have a friend who just goes, hey, have you read this verse right here? And they have a different view than me. And as they read it and as they explain it, I go, you know, actually, that is true. And that is what that says. And so then what do I do? I tweak myself. And that's what we're supposed to do in the body of Christ. We're, we're supposed to be humble. And when I hear that man that says, yeah, we just we pray and evangelize over out of obedience. And that was the end of the answer. And I just think, man, he is such an amazing guy that I am so thankful for. And I listen to him on a regular basis, but then I go, but when I read my Bible, that is not what it says. And so this morning, we're going to look at how this fits in. And it's interesting, this Corinthian church, they are amazing. God has saved them. It is a miracle that anybody in the Corinthian church is saved. And Paul goes and Paul preaches, these people get saved. And there's this church that's there. And it is amazing, and they have problems, and their problems are not unexpected, but they have a lot of conflict. Satan is in their midst trying to stop the good things that God is doing. And what does Paul do? He says, this is the doctrine of salvation. You need to think about how God saved you. And then he talks about how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Corinthians were confused. Because they were like, oh, man, somebody speaks in tongues. Oh, they're doing a prophecy. Oh, they're doing this thing here. And they think, well, that means they're spirit-filled. And Paul says, no, these people, they are cursing Jesus. And nobody by the Holy Spirit curses Jesus. What you are measuring as a mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the wrong thing to use. That's not how you know. And that was kind of the emphasis of our message last week. And uh, so what we're going to see here today is that God is in charge. God is in control. He gets all the credit, but we participate. And what we know and how diligent and how faithful we are, 
matters. And those are two very important things for us to put together. And I suppose you could pick certain circumstances and situations and say, okay, so how does it work there? And, and I would just say, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't have everything all wrapped up and figured out. But what I do know is that I don't discount or cross out anything that God says. Um, it's not my intention. And if any of you ever finding me do that, you should lovingly help me. So here's uh, one thing I want to just open up with this passage. As we think about ministry, as we think about salvation, as we think about how that brings unity in the body of Christ, one of the things that uh, Jesus in his triumphal entry, uh, Jesus is drawing near, and the whole multitude of his disciples began, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So one of the things that we see, I mean, it's, it's all over Scripture, um, but God is actually in control. He gets all of the credit all the time. And when he wants to be worshipped and glorified, he will be worshipped and glorified. And all those people, the multitudes that were crying out, that were worshipping Jesus, what they were doing was not meaningless. It was something. It was important. It was significant. And the Pharisee says, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, yeah, if they were quiet, the rocks would start doing it. So it's important because in this context, there's conflict happening with the Corinthians. They're fleshly and they're fighting. And they're fleshly and they're fighting because they don't actually understand this. And they're giving themselves too much credit. And they're following people instead of following God. And it is critical that we understand in the whole of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, and 3, the thing that stands out is God gets all the credit. God is the actor. And that does not minimize what we do, but it's 100% on God, like worship. If, if all the people were quiet, the rocks would do it. So we, we just need to understand. And by the way, that is so significant because that gives you confidence and that gives you peace. Because when you look around and you see things that are not going well, or you think, oh, man, I, I think I missed an opportunity, or I did this thing wrong, or I did that thing wrong. Oh, darn, I messed up God's plan. You can take a step back and say, no, God's plan never gets messed up. And we can always then pray. <laughs> not just because God said to. <laughs> because God said to, but because prayer matters. So let's jump into this passage. And we're going to start in, in verse, uh, we'll start reading in verse 1. And um, the three things that we're going to see here is that we need to work diligently and faithfully knowing that God causes growth and it is for his glory. We need to work faithfully knowing that we participate in the harvest. We actually have a part to play. And we need to work faithfully knowing that we are accountable we are going to stand before God, and we are going to give an account for how we function in this life, for what we live for. We're going to answer to God for that. And so as we look at this, let's start in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And it just says this. This is what we talked about last week, that we need to be, be able to identify and avoid the flesh. And he just says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, 
as infants in Christ. And we talked about last week how there's a debate in this passage where some people say that this is talking about the unbelievers in Corinth versus the believers in Corinth. The ones that were fighting were unbelievers. Because the flesh is very clearly mentioned in many places in Scripture as referring to non-Christians. But we know that's not true. I mean, that may fit people's theology, but when I read this passage, that is not what it says. Why? Because of the words that come next, where he says um, that he is speaking to them as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. That is a phrase that labels a Christian. And so this is talking about believers, even though that doesn't fit some people's theology. Uh, When the Bible says it, you know, we go with what the Bible says, not somebody's theological system. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? In other words, you are behaving like a non-Christian though you are an infant in Christ. And then he goes on and he says, for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? And then uh, we looked at this passage and I just, I do want to review this. It says um, in Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. (laughs) We had a lot to say about that last week. I won't re-say it all. But this is how you measure whether or not somebody is spiritual. I don't care what song and dance you do and what clothes you wear and and what things you're teaching out of the Bible. If those things describe your life, you are fleshly, and there's two options. You are an immature Christian or you are not a Christian. And some some of the places and ministries that we would say, oh, they have so much of the Holy Spirit in them. And then you find out that the leaders are... Their, their lives are defined by this. And that's why when we use the wrong things to measure people, we label things as spiritual that are actually satanic. And so um, that's the deeds of the flesh. Now, how do you know if somebody's filled with the Spirit? Because he goes on, he actually describes that. It is not. Do you speak in tongues? Do you prophesy? Do you say that power comes out of my words and people are healed and and if we could line some people up with wheelchairs there's all kinds of ministries that um you know i just think about all the miracles that have been done in the bible right (laughs) i mean moses throws down his staff turns into a snake and then what do pharaoh's magicians do they throw down a staff there's all kinds of miraculous things that happen that most of it is trickery But actually, when you read the book of Revelation, it talks about how the beast is going to die and then come back to life. Like, there are going to be miracles that are not wrought by God. They're wrought by Satan. And so we don't look at the outside to say, who's spirit-filled? 
we look at this list. Um, how do you know if you're filled by the Spirit? Well, how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in your life? There's the fruit, the result, the evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is what it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you're a Christian, you have killed those previous things that were on the list, and you now live like this. And uh, we know, hey, we struggle, right? The Apostle Paul talks about his struggle with the flesh. But we need to put the target where it is supposed to be. We need to measure things the way we're supposed to measure them. And, and it's not like, hey, I'm not, I hope you know me well enough to know that I don't think that doctrine is unimportant. I don't think that the truth of what Scripture says is unimportant. But I don't care if you can get 100% on the hardest theology test if that doesn't match your life. This is what God wants us to be like. This is the fruit and evidence of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul's going to talk about, he's going to go on, he's going to talk about ministry. And so I want to read on the rest of this passage, and I want to focus on this, and that is how do we think about being effective in ministry, and how does that relate to how we relate to each other? Because Paul says this, it fits into his doctrine and his theology, but he is saying this because he says you guys are fighting with each other. And you're fighting with each other because you don't think correctly about this. What he's going to say in this next two verses, next, these next five verses, what he's going to say there is the reason they're having conflict is because they don't understand that. And also, if we don't understand that, we'll have conflict, but we will be ineffective in ministry. Think about how important it is to be effective in ministry. If you don't understand this, and if you don't apply it as you are raising your kids, your kids will be impacted by that. If you don't think about this and understand this and apply it, it is going to have an impact in your marriage. If you don't think about this and if you don't understand this correctly, when you go to work, God will not do through you at work what he could do through you. Um, your neighborhood is going to be spiritually impacted by whether or not you understand this passage. How effective our church is is going to be affected by how well we understand this. It's amazing. Like I, was, I went to a Bible study last night with a group of people that, that don't go here. It was kind of fun. And I was sitting by uh, one person, then I sat by somebody else, and just in listening to them talk, I can say, okay, I know what kind of a church you went, grew up in. Just, just hearing them think about life, it's like somebody trained you, somebody taught you something. And as I'm listening to them express themselves, I'm like, man, that is actually really helpful as you go through life. There's other times that I'll sit by people, and as they talk, and as they have ideas about how to approach various things in their life, I see all kinds of suffering and difficulty and pain. And it's because nobody taught them. They're like, yeah, I got a problem, and there's four solutions, and all four of the solutions are the wrong ones. 
And it's not a lack of good intention. It's not a lack of desire to do the right thing and to do the best thing. But nobody invested in them. And so uh, we want to be a church that understands and applies what we're about to read. So let's read it. And uh, we're going to find out that work, we need to work faithfully knowing that God causes growth and that it is for his glory. Um, it says this, verse 5, What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Now, the Lord assigned, that's, that's, a, that's a predestination word. That is a, that is a God's sovereignty word. And it's saying, is that referring to Paul and Apollos? Or is that referring to the people who believe? Like, that's one of the controversies here. I think that's talking about Paul and Apollos, that God raised them up and he assigned them a role to function in. And, um, you know, I think that you can't raise up and assign Paul and Apollos and Paul to be ministers in a certain way, in a certain location. That would also involve doing the things that it takes to bring them to Christ. So it's the whole thing. And then Paul goes on. So we see God's power there. The emphasis is on God. It says in verse 6, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Who gets the credit? I mean, Paul's planting, Apollos is watering, but who is making it grow? God gave the growth. And then this is, what we're, this is how we're supposed to respond when we see that. So neither he who plants nor he who wants waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And then I want you to look at this in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So again, who's the owner there? It's God. Now, this is another one of those passages. I told you at the other one, some people argue about whether or not these are Christians or non-Christians. To me, that seems like an easy thing to resolve. This is another one. Um, there's, there's people who teach this passage that I love and respect, and the way that they go through it is they say the emphasis of verse 9 is, has nothing to do with the fellow worker part is not really emphasized. That's, it's th the point of this is just to say that the fellow workers belong to God and that the people belong to God and that, you know, they're God's building, they're God's field. And so just as an emphasis of who owns this, and I would say that is a huge emphasis. It gives all the attention and glory to God. But every single word in Scripture is inspired and I don't think you can read this passage and remove fellow workers. So that's not this point, that's the next one. We're going to reread this passage and emphasize some other things. But what we need to understand here is that salvation and growth to maturity is God's doing. Now here's why that's encouraging. It's encouraging because God is successful. God accomplishes his task. Um, we don't go through life going, oh man, I, I hope I planted the seed right Oh, if, if I messed it up, I did my best. I was praying. I was trying to be faithful. But, but maybe I didn't, you know, flick my wrist just right as I was planting the seed. Can we get some people to do some wrist flicking training as we plant seeds so that we try to all get it right? We practice that. And I'm actually, 
I'm going to come back later and say, no, we, we do need to be careful about our part. But could you imagine if you go through life and you're like, oh, man, I sure hope I watered it. Was I holding it too high or was it too low? Um, if you go through life feeling like the pressure's all on you, man, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of, that's, a, that's challenging. That's difficult. Now, I'm sure every single one of us look at our life and we look back and we just, God was not always the person God wanted me to be. I didn't always do the stuff that God wanted me to do. And so there is a peace and there is a comfort every time I make an important decision or every time I'm a, I'm a part of an important decision <laughs> at church. I pray about it before I go make those decisions, and I wrestle through it because I want to please the Lord. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I know that was the right thing. I'm really glad I did it. Other times, man, afterwards I go, was that really the right thing? I mean, it was so hard. Did I do the right thing? Reminds me of uh, when I was, a, I was a new Christian, and I had this huge job offer to be an electrician out on Edwards Air Force Base. And I had this, I was working construction at the time. So I got this offer to go somewhere else to take this other job. And it was potentially going to really help me as I went off to college to study for ministry. And I prayed, God, give me wisdom. What should I do? And I kept praying and I'm weighing the pros and cons. And I'm just saying, man, I, I hope I made, I want to make the right decision. Lord, just tell me, I don't care. I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'm willing to do it. And then I prayed, and you know what? God never gave me an answer. <laughs> but the deadline arrived. I had to say yes or no to the job. So I said no to that job and decided to stay doing construction. And um, I hadn't been out of work from the time I started working for this company. And right after I made that decision, <laughs> work stopped. And for two weeks, I sat at home. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a higher-paying job over here, and I could have gone to work. And now I'm sitting at home. I'm like, oh, I messed it up. I made the wrong decision. And uh, it was just so challenging. But guess what? Um, God blessed that decision. And when I look back at all my years in college, uh, my boss actually um, was uh, hired to do a bunch of housing tracks in Santa Clarita where I was going to college. So the guy I used to work with, my old partner, he had to drive to the shop load all the material into the truck, throw the blueprints in the truck, drive all the way to Santa Clarita by himself, pick me up where I'd drive five minutes to a neighborhood and do electrical work, and then he would drop me off, and he had to drive all the way home. And I'm just thinking, man, God is like, he, he's just like so good. He's providing me for me financially, and he's not, I don't even have a rot. I don't even have this, this uh, drive I have to take. As we go through life, and we understand that God is the one who acts. It gives us a peace and a calm and a trust in his power. And, it, and we rely on God, not ourselves. So what we see here is that God is the one who causes things. And we are to work hard for his glory. You know where it says, what is Paul? What is Apollos? They are just servants. You and I need to view ourselves as servants and that our purpose is to give God glory. Think about this. God is the chef. He's cooking the food. You're just like a waiter. Um, you are not the one who knows the menu. You're not the brilliant person doing anything. God cooks the food, and then he hands it to you. But guess what? You've got to carry it to the table. And you're not supposed to, on your way, start changing the seasoning because you think it would be different or better. You're not supposed to, like, not pay attention and dump the food on the floor while you're walking it to the table. Um, you're not supposed to not deliver the food. Um, but what's significant is what God does. And actually, God's sovereignty even covers our part. 
but we do have a part to play. We, we are nothing. God gets all the credit and glory. Everything we do is for God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thanked the waiter? Man, this food, it tastes so good. And the waiter's thinking, great, I'm glad, but I didn't cook it. Or have you ever seen somebody get mad at the waiter when they didn't like the food? This wasn't seasoned right. I said I wanted it cooked this way. And then the waiter's like, I didn't cook it. I just carried it out here from the kitchen. Let me take it back. We're servants, and God is the power behind everything that is accomplished, and we do what we do for God's glory. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4, um, the apostle Paul is ministering, and he does this miracle, and everybody starts trying to worship him as God, and he says, no, don't do that. God is the one we worship. They end up um, stoning him. And so we belong to God. We do everything for his glory, and... Uh, Let's look at the second thing. The second thing is that we work faithfully, and that's why we work faithfully. It's for God and for his glory and because we have confidence in him. But we work faithfully knowing that we participate in the harvest. We don't just evangelize out of obedience. We do not just pray out of obedience. You know, you think, I think about, you know, there's seminaries where you go let, uh, learn, study, how to study scripture. And you go places where, like the seminary I went to, they said, it is not your job to come up with your own stuff. It's your job to read the Bible, understand it, and explain it. So don't come up with your own stuff. Figure out what God says and deliver that. And it's, it's really important that you, you, you study this and you take this and you study these things so that you can get it right, so that you don't get up and read it and then say something that's wrong. It's really important to get it right. And one of the things that I would say, it's like some, I meet some people that go to those schools just like I went to, and they say, no, God does everything and we do nothing. And I just think, well, then why go to school? Like, it really doesn't matter, right? I mean, if God's just going to do whatever he's going to do and what we do, that, why, why do we need to read the Bible? Why do we need to get it right? Why are we so diligent to be faithful? It's because it actually does make a difference. Let's read this again. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, and then I think this is an important phrase, through whom you believed. This talks about them believing, and it says that they believed through Paul and Apollos. They were channels. They were who God used to bring that about. As the Lord assigned, God was not uninvolved in that. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. But he planted, and Apollos watered, and then God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gets, gives the growth. You know, I was thinking about this in my yard. Like I have, my grass was dead, and so I fertilized it and planted it, did all this stuff. And, and I still have like these like holes where there's no grass growing. And so I, the other day I got some more fertilizer and I got some grass seed. and I threw a bunch of grass seed in there and I put fertilizer on it, and then I'm watering it. And guess what? <laughs> Nothing's happening. <laughs> Like, I did the exact same thing I did. It worked on, like, 90% of the lawn, but now I got, like, this 10% of these holes. I did the exact same thing the second time, and it still didn't work. And that's the thing is that God's the one who gets the glory and credit because no matter what we do, that doesn't guarantee success. God is the one who guarantees success, but that doesn't mean we are not planting and that we are not watering. And this is, it goes on, 
And it says here, he who plants and he who waters are one. How can you be fighting when actually it's God's thing, we're doing everything for his glory, and I'm doing the part he's telling me to do, you're doing the part God's telling you to do. How can we be jealous and fight with each other over that? How does that happen? Well, it happens when we take our eyes off God and start putting it on other people. When we start following people, when we start thinking, man, that's a great speaker. Look how many people got saved. That's an amazing speaker. Instead of going, the truth, what a miracle that anybody got saved. What a great thing. I love hearing that guy speak. I love these things that he does. But apart from God's work in his life, this would be useless. But what a blessing that God used him. And we think about all the times in Scripture that, that God, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, what does it say? God chose the foolish things not the wise things. Paul came in spiritual wisdom, not in persuasive words. Why? So that you wouldn't be following people, so that you would be following God. And so they are doing this, but look at this. They're one, and it says, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. God rewards people by what they do. Like he's saying, they're laboring. And God is going to give them wages. And it goes on, and it says, for we are God's fellow workers. So this is the thing. It's like we participate, but we can't ever have this idea that, God, you are so lucky I'm on your team. Uh, look at all these great things I've done. Instead, we look at this like, God, you could have won the game without me, but what's really cool is you let me be on your team. You let me be on the winning team. You handed me the ball and told me to run, and you let me run with it. And then I started to drop the ball, and you grabbed it and put it back in my hands, and then I kept running. And you're the one who made this happen, but you let me be on your team. Like, that's how ministry works. We do participate, but God is the one who brings things about. And we are God's fellow workers. You know, Paul says it this way. He says, for this, I talking about salvation, for this I toil and struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's toiling and struggling, but God is the one who's working through him. How about this? <laughs> you guys aren't going to like how I say this, I think. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 16, he's talking to... Uh, believers and unbelievers about marriage, so we're going to focus on marriage when we get here. But think about what Paul says, and every word matters. Words are chosen perfectly. They are chosen because they mean what they are saying. And so we don't read verses like this and then cross them out. We read verses like this, and then we take, we give account to what is being said. So he's saying to these uh, people, this is the situation in Corinth. They're really struggling with this whole idea of marriage. We'll dig into that. But you have this guy who's married, and he marries this lady, and then he becomes a Christian. And it's like, okay, do I stay married to an unbeliever? And that actually happened the other way, where you have a lady and a man, they get married, and then, then the other one, the, the, the lady becomes a Christian. And she's saying, okay, I'm a Christian. How could I possibly be married to a non-Christian? That's impossible. Should I stay married? So that's the question, and that this is what Paul says. If your unbelieving spouse leaves you, let them go. But if they're willing to stay, don't leave. We'll cover all that stuff about divorce and leaving and all that stuff later. Here's the important thing. The, the Apostle Paul then says this. Don't leave the marriage. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? 
How do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So why does he phrase it that way? It's because he's emphasizing the significance of the wife's role in saving her husband and the husband's role in saving the wife. And we know that God is the one who saves, but it is inaccurate to say the wife doesn't save and the husband doesn't save. That is wrong. And it is because God saves through the wife and God saves through the husband. And and we all say, oh, we don't save people, God does. And sometimes what that means is that we are lazy and we don't do the things that God has told us to do. We don't take obedience seriously. We don't say, hey, God's the one who does it, but actually it's really important that I do the things God says I'm supposed to do because he's going to use me in that. We participate. God's the powerful actor, but we are participators in life. Um, How about the Apostle Paul? He says this, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Who's winning? That I might win. To I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that all run in a race, that all the runners run, but only one receives the price? One run so that so run that you may obtain it. He's not saying I'm passive and nothing I do matters. He says, I want to make sure I do it right because what I do matters. In verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Can I tell you something about ministry? There are tons of ministries all over the place, tons of churches. There are tons of families. There are lots of Sunday school teachers who run aimlessly. And there's not the fruit that God intends there to be because people are not diligent and faithful to do the things God has told them to do. There's times that somebody's wandering off into sin, and the Bible says if somebody's wandering off into sin, go get them. And there's tons of places that don't do that. And then people wander off into sin, and they're destroyed. And people go, oh, no, hey, it's God. He works in people's hearts, not me. It's like, no, God said to you, go get them. We don't run aimlessly. We don't minister aimlessly. We carefully do the things that God tells us to do because it matters. Um, Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. You can't read Scripture and come away with this idea that nothing you do matters, that prayer is just just an act of prayer. Like, what does God say Uh, in Hezekiah? He says, Hezekiah, you're going to die, and the prophet leaves. And then Hezekiah's like, oh, God, I've been faithful. I don't want to die. Please save me. And Paul says to the prophet, hey, go back. Go back and tell him I'm going to add some years to his life. You don't read that story and say, oh, he just prayed out of obedience. Or, Or what about in James where it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. You don't read that and go, 
Oh, yeah, Elijah's prayer didn't make any difference. I mean, he just prayed because God told him to. That's not how the story's written. It's written that he prays and then it rains, and then when he prays it, it doesn't rain. Like, that's how the story was written. And is God, like, trying to deceive us? Or do we just say, God, if that's what you say, then I know that's true. And we have to bring all the other things that God says about sovereignty to prayer and to salvation. And we understand I plant, Apollos waters, God is the one who brings the growth. We bring that to everything. We don't cross out anything. But Paul didn't live his life as though the things he did didn't matter. And then we live faithfully, and we'll, we're going to close with this. We live faithfully. Why? Because we're accountable. We're going to spend the next few weeks, actually, the next, the next three weeks, talking about accountability. Look at verse 8. It says, he who plants and the one who waters are one. They will receive their wages according to his labor, for we are God's field. You are God's, God's fellow workers. You are God's field, field, God's building, according to the grace God's given to me. And then look at this. Like a skilled master builder. Is Paul emphasizing how he does what he does? He didn't say, I just lazy, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just kind of threw down a foundation. No, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. And look at this, let each one take care how he builds on it. You know, um, God is just saying right here, like, this is a warning, and we're going to go into this other passage. You better be careful how you build on it. Now, think about that. You better be careful how you parent. You better be careful how you disciple. You better be careful about your involvement in church. When you're sitting around with a bunch of people and and everybody's kind of throwing out their ideas on things, you better be careful about how you encourage people and the kinds of things that you say to people. I mean, Jesus said this, right? He said anybody who leads a little one astray... Uh, it'd be better to have a rock tied around his neck and that he'd be thrown into the sea. You know, we don't just carelessly approach ministry. And we approach ministry as fallible people doing the best we can, knowing that we fall short. But we are diligent and we are careful in how we build and making sure that we get things right. Why? Because it matters. And so... Um, And we're going to stand before God and give an account. Now, I'm going to tell you two ways it matters. uh, 1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We need to be careful about what we're teaching people. It's important that we don't teach them things that are not true, that we don't take Scripture and mislead people. That's important. And then there's another one, 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Every one of us is different. Every one of us is unique. We all have gifts. And so we are good stewards of what God has taught us, and we are good stewards of our gifts and abilities and what we do. And uh, the next couple weeks, we are going to, next week we're going to teach through a passage that talks about the fact that as Christians, you are going to stand before God. It's the Bema Seat Judgment. Did you guys know that Christians are judged? 
And we're, we'll also consider Romans 8, 1, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we're going to think about the fact that you and me are going to stand before God and we are going to give him an account for how we've lived. And so we're going to look at that. Most people don't talk about that. There's all kinds of theological controversies where people say, no, it's impossible. We, we can't, as Christians, stand up and give an account for our life. That doesn't fit with these other verses, except <laughs> that there's verses about standing before God and giving account. So we can't just toss those out because it doesn't fit with the things that we believe. So we're going to talk about that. And then the week after that, we're going to have a guy come to church, and instead of a sermon, we will have a little bit of a message, tiny but we're going to have a guy actually do a play where he's going to depict what it means to live life and give an account to God. And here's why. We want to be people who read and understand the Bible, but we want to be encouraged and challenged to put it into practice. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you are the powerful actor. Lord, you are so awesome and so powerful. We never worry about being unfaithful and dropping the ball because we get things wrong. We don't see things right. We realize that we are weak and fallible. And yet, Lord, we also are not to be careless because understanding your truth correctly and being diligent to actually apply it correctly makes a difference. God, help us not to run aimlessly, help us to run carefully and purposefully in submission and obedience and in reverence for you in your name. Amen.